With Linode, build applications using their simple cloud manager, API, or CLI. Quickly scale up or down with standard VMs, dedicated CPUs, and enterprise-grade GPUs. All with the best price to performance and same pricing across 11 global data centers. They're also people, just like you. You get fast, human support, 24 by 7. So visit linode.com slash day2cloud, that's D-A-Y, the number 2, C-L-O-U-D, and get $100 in free credit to try them out. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we are talking all things Istio with someone who's actually done it in practice, hands-on time. It's Kevin Davin, Senior Backend Engineer from Gradle. And before that, he did a whole bunch of consulting work on GKE and Istio. So he really knows the bits and bytes of what's going on in the trenches. And we really quizzed him about it, didn't we, Ethan? We went deep uh, and we, we got into architecture too, Ned, which stuck out to me. That's, that's part of where I like to live. And it, and the Istio architecture, if you take Kubernetes and add Istio on top, it reminded me a lot of the F5 days where you'd punch all your traffic through an F5 load balancer box. And then depending on how deep you were in the F5 ecosystem could bolt on all these additional features and functionality like a web application firewall, for example, as a service that would do security stuff for you as you uh, were processing traffic flowing to and from your app. I saw a lot of parallels there, uh, only with all the goodness and uh, complexity, if we're honest, of uh, what <laughs> Kubernetes brings to the table, Istio can can factor in and give you that similar experience if you're an old school F5 or say an A10 load balancer kind of human. So there's, there's things here for you if you're like, ah, Kubernetes, it's all for the kids. No, there's, there's a lot going on here that you're going to see the way you used to do it and understand how it's being done today. Yeah, we get some interesting conversations about the separation of infrastructure and applications. So I, I just really enjoyed this discussion and I hope you will too our talk with Kevin Davin from Gradle. Our guest today is Kevin Davin. He is a senior backend engineer at Gradle, and he is passionate about running Kubernetes and Istio the right way. Let's start with basics, Kevin. Welcome to the show. How did you find yourself in the world of Kubernetes? Oh, so welcome. Thank you. And uh, oh, did I? Yeah, it's a, a great question, this part. I, I've discovered Kubernetes almost at the beginning in uh, 2016, just one one year after the, the official release and already in the cloud, it was just a beta alpha project in Google Cloud at this moment. And I helped people to get into the cloud and Kubernetes was for me, Docker was something already old and deploying stuff in the cloud uh, with container seems to be legit to be to use Kubernetes. So I discovered it like that, and then release after release, try to get deeper and deeper in this project to make everything working better uh, for uh, the projects. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it sounds like you were already in the world of containers and discovering Kubernetes was like a natural progression for you. Yeah, totally. And I also saw that you are a Google development expert on Google Cloud and a GitLab hero. Are those also yeah. tied into your Kubernetes experience? Like what do those awards mean? Yeah, um, the, it's two program, uh, in fact, and uh, the first one, so the Google developer part, I'm on the Google Cloud part and also on Kotlin because I'm a backend engineer, so developer, uh, it's my main uh, subject at the beginning. And 
Yeah, it's related to Kubernetes. I've joined this program to discover and share my feeling about the product to Google uh, community and be the, uh, just, it's it was like man in the middle uh, on the community side. So I was able to discuss with people and I'm not from Google, so I can say everything I want about the project. And if something is not working and I don't like something on the Google Cloud platform, I can tell that it's not a problem for me. And I was between developers uh, and the Google developer advocates and uh, engineers on the Google side to share the, the point of view about developers and what we want as a developer when we want to uh, join the cloud platform and want to deploy things in the cloud. And the uh, GitLab part is all, all, almost the same, uh, but mainly on the CI part, uh, it's something, and I've joined Kubernetes and the GitLab CI together on some projects to make the CI able to scale uh, on Kubernetes. And I was really involved in the past, not so much after the COVID, it was, uh, it was a bit hard to, to, back, to get back to conferences. Uh, but yeah, it was, again, the same subject for me. It's being involved in communities and being able to share my experience with developers and get feedback from them to share with GitLab or Google about the way to use the every uh, software in uh, in this environment. Kevin, I love how hands-on you are, man. You are as hands-on as it gets right now. And uh, so one of the things you're really uh, good at is Istio. Um, and, and again, hands-on down in the trenches with that. So let's, let's start that part of the conversation. How did you first get involved with the Istio project? Uh, Istio is something I discovered while it was in version 0.2 three, I think. So really new. Yeah, it's, it was hard at this moment. And I've discovered some people was already using that in production. Ooh. And I was <laughs> really impressed. I've done some interviews of them just because I was in the Kubernetes ecosystem. So, okay, it's just something I want to discover that. It's It was at this moment uh, managed by Google, uh, Lyft, and uh, Red Hat, uh, IBM. Uh, this one, so yeah, yeah I would. Uh, it was something I want to uh, wanted to get into, and discovering by the way it's used by users for me was the interesting part. Not just by the okay by the book, it can do that and that. For me, I want to discover it first from from. A user point of view, and then after release, uh, and there is a bit before the 1.0, it was really a messy thing. It was really hard to yeah. upgrade. Yeah, it, well, it I was mean, zero really... dot three. You said zero dot three, and you're like interested. I see zero dot three, and I'm like, yeah, I'll wait and see if it becomes a thing. Let them bake it. If it becomes fully baked, then maybe I'm interested. I'll wait till you know zero dot nine nine or one dot oh. And you jump in at zero dot three. Are you so, Kevin? Are you insane? That's really the question. <laughs> yeah, uh -oh. it was. Uh, it was not in my team. It was some, uh, another team, but. Yeah, I think they were a bit insane, but they tried a lot of things before, uh, even Linkerd when it was not the the service mesh with the Rust part uh, as currently. But yeah, after all the, the thing, it was in uh, 2018, I think. So service meshes at this moment was not so big, even Kubernetes. It was okay, but uh, people were afraid about Kubernetes. So yeah, at this moment, they tried and they need this part of the, the, the system and Istio bring them, uh, brought them mm. some extra feature, which was not able uh, to be done directly in Kubernetes. So they chose to use it. If it was harder than just 
keeping uh, the thing simple with Kubernetes only. You saw that it was solving a problem that they had, and that's what was yeah. driving adoption for them. And I, I, I know that it came out of Lyft, um, but that would seem to be the key thing. It's really solving a problem, and okay. so therefore you jumped in. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the first thing I, I said to everyone about to try and uh, get into Istio. Just use it if you need it. If you are not able to use it, it's just because it's famous don't go this way. It's not the right thing to do. And you need to be limited by Kubernetes now, by the deployment system and things you want to achieve with Kubernetes. If Kubernetes is not able to provide you that, okay, invest in Istio or any other service mesh if you want to try something else. But you need to have some uh, requirement at the beginning because if it's just because, oh, we want some production with Kubernetes in Istio because it's famous, it's not the right way. And we'll, we'll have hard night uh, trying to uh, manage and do everything because yeah it's uh, it can be uh, very hard to 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 deal with this it's just for the the name and nothing else right we we've done a few shows on on service meshes in the past and we haven't covered istio directly so i'm curious uh, one thing that's come up in the past is kind of what you alluded to it adds complexity to the kubernetes cluster which is already yeah. fairly complex to manage anyway so okay. What are the core promises made by Istio that would make it worthwhile? And are there some main points of differentiation between it and other service meshes? Uh, so for the first part of the question, uh, usually I say Istio is the same problem solver as Kubernetes was for the workload. Kubernetes is about workload. So it's a new way to deploy things. You just write some YAML and then it's deployed. Okay. And Istio is the same thing, but at network level. You have this powerful thing to do great thing at network level. But again, only if you need it. If you need mirroring, traffic splitting, canary releases, even the chaos engineering thing, you, you can achieve that using Istio. So it's one new thing to add in your cluster and which is not possible with Kubernetes by default because there is nothing or just more things uh, at network level in Kubernetes. You can achieve that with service meshes like, like Istio. And for me, the, the main difference point with the, with Istio, I, yeah, I'm not tied to Istio. Uh, if someone wants to achieve uh, and use a service mesh, Istio, Linkerd or other solutions are really cool. And it's something. Uh, it's not something very important because it. If it at the end, it helps you to deploy your application uh, with ease and uh, provide you some extra feature. Istio, Likandi, or any other. It's a good solution. There is some interesting thing in Istio, and Envoy is a piece of software, really, uh, really amazing piece of software, and we can provide some extra thing with Wasm currently. And yeah, it's really interesting, but it's not the main point. And at the end, for me, it's more the comfort provided by the tool to deploy your application because at the end, it's the business. You want you want to achieve something, deploying things with Istio. Is not, for me, it's not an achievement. I want my production application to work. It's not because it's run by Kubernetes in Istio or App Engine or just a VM is enough in some cases. So I don't want, just want to have everything uh, okay in production and uh, being able to deploy it with this again. Right, right. You don't. You're not looking for the un achievement unlocked Istio. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, 
Kevin, give us a sense then of when it is worth implementing Istio, because we kind of, you know, if it adds these features or if it does something you need it to do, well, like what, like what do, what does Istio do for me that I'm going to fire it up and then give us the opposite when I, when it's not going to solve a problem? Yeah. To that, uh, one thing, and I've seen a lot of people, for example, using Kubernetes, but just for one application and by saying one application, it, it was one pod. So paying one cluster for one pod, for <laughs> me, uh, just use a VM or uh, uh, manage services like Cloud Run or App Engine. I love App Engine. It's way old, but it was serverless before serverless. Mm. But yeah, in this context, just one application, you don't need that. But if your application grows or your requirement grows to deliver uh, things in production, for example, uh, if you are you are mature enough and you are you can deliver application multiple times a day, at the end you maybe want to try your application in production. This is something I really like because in production it's the place where you have the uh, most important traffic. And when you want to deploy something, even if it's you're able to test it somewhere else, you are not sure it will work on production. And with this tool, for example. Uh, you are able to deploy with mirroring. Uh, you can do mirroring traffic from one uh, application. So your end users are uh, attached to the main and the production and stable uh, version of your application. And you can uh, route the uh, copy of the traffic to the new version you are about to deploy and follow how the application is doing on this uh, with this traffic. And then you can check the CPU, the RAM, errors, and monitor everything. So observability, uh, Istio provide observability uh, with yeah, a lot of tooling. And at application level, you don't have to do so much thing to get into this observability field and then have enough, uh, a lot of information to get some feedback about your application without deploying it for real. So with that in mind, you are able to say, okay, my application is able to work. I don't consume more CPU, more RAM than before. The new features may be uh, able to work. Okay, I will do the next step. So again, canary release, uh, traffic splitting, and many other things to deploy your application. Because in Kubernetes, if you want to deploy the new version of one app, it's just you change the name, the, the, the tag of your application. And if you have, yeah, let's say 10, uh, 10 replicas, in about one minute, your application is deployed to the new version and the old one is just uh, removed. And after that, if you find something problematic in production, you have to roll back. And doing this kind of thing, for me, it's too brutal. Uh, it's w everything or nothing in production with the new version. And I want something smoother with uh, the mirroring, the traffic splitting, to be sure my application is running. Because, yeah, uh, we have many application in production and with many uh, functionalities in it. So I, I don't want to just fire and forget in some time, but I don't want just to uh, launch the new version and pray for it working because I'm not sure it will work. I'm not able, and I don't want to invest so much time to uh, generate some kind of uh, random testing uh, to uh, generate some load on the application. The load I want to support is the production load. So. You already have, like, you don't have to generate the load. It's already there. <laughs> exactly. Edge of it. That does lead me to a question about mirroring in particular, because 
I do want to send, so the idea is I'll make a copy of the traffic and send it to this test instance of my service. But I yeah. don't want that test instance of my service to then continue that process and start writing to other services that are actually in production. So what do you do to prevent that test instance of the service from impacting the rest of the production services it might talk to? In some environment, we are able to get through this application and write in another database. It's something we can do. So uh, we can have two different things and two completely uh, uh, separated environments. And the other one is, yeah, with the database, but it's just fire and forget in this context with the mirroring. So even if it's not working on the other one, you will be able to get data from the database to invest, uh, investigate if you need to, to do some kind of thing like that. So yeah, it's you can do that or you can just at develop, uh, uh, development uh, at code level uh, set some flags. It's uh, We are using uh, feature flags uh, uh, most of the time to disable uh, the call to another application or some insert in the database just to be sure it's idempotent. So even if you call this one, it won't uh, add extra load in another service or in the database. Or you can choose to only uh, uh, mirror the traffic for read operation and not for the right one. Okay, right. Because it's it's making a decision when it creates that mirror. So you can put into yeah. the logic of the mirror, only mirror traffic that is reads. Yeah, and you can choose only one endpoint, for example, if you want to test a new implementation uh, and you are able to deploy the new implementation side by side with the other one, you can say, okay, this one, I will test this one and follow how it's working in production with this new implementation. Maybe uh, you choose to change the code, change the library behind. Yeah, it's possible because you it's fine-grained at network level. Uh, with HTTP, you can pass and uh, apply this kind of rule at almost every level of the HTTP stack. It's interesting. It really reminds me of the work I did with F5 load balancers back in the day. We did all this stuff that way, only there was no Kubernetes. You punched everything into the front end of the load balancer, and then you build as complex a rule set as you needed to, to direct traffic wherever and however you needed to, all the way up through level, uh, layer seven with HTTP headers if you want. It's the same thing, only the architecture is radically different, needs a lot more flexibility because of Kubernetes and what that introduces. Yeah, for me, it's not something new. It's just like Kubernetes before with workload, a simpler way to deploy and set things through YAMLs and provide this extra feature, whatever the solution behind. There is some, it's not, uh, it's, I think it's not quite something now. The SMI uh, specification was something uh, two years ago. But uh, yeah, it was the idea to have something, a definition, and the implementation here is true, but uh, with SMI, should have been uh, something else. And yeah, the implementation is just uh, the, the service mesh and you can root things or just do some traffic splitting and again, many things with that. But yeah, it's uh, everything at Kubernetes level with some YAML. Yeah, I, I recall when Microsoft uh, sort of pushed the SMI and they had uh, they had their own service mesh, open service mesh, I think it was called. I don't know if that ever yeah. went anywhere. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, I followed that, but uh, yeah, it wasn't so much communication around it and uh, mostly bad buzz about some copy thing from Linkerd, uh, from what I remember. So yeah, nothing. Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard anything about it in a couple of years, so I think that kind of died on the vine. Um, 
So, so far we've been talking very much at a theoretical level, but I'd like to get down to some real examples. Uh, and I know you've done a ton of consulting around Kubernetes and Istio. So can you walk us through uh, an example or a project where you successfully implemented Istio for, for a, a project or a customer? Yeah, uh, it's uh, even the the discussion was uh, mainly theoretical on the previous part. It was almost the same thing in uh, in real cluster with production because yeah, it's, it was just deploying this kind of uh, def YAML definition, and you need to be prepared at code level because if you have multiple uh, environment, multiple thing deployed, you need to be sure. Okay, this one will work with this other one, and you have the proxy something that we try on the Istio side to remove. Uh, and we'll talk maybe about that uh, uh, later. But yeah, we need to prepare our uh, application to be uh, Istio or service mesh ready. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, you don't want anymore to do some retry inside your application called HTTP retry because it's it first, it's a pain, uh, to, uh, pain to implement, to test uh, because you want to be sure the retry will work. So you need to test it. And it's a pain for me to do that at application level. Uh, again, the application is about the business. So if you need to manage the infrastructure and the resiliency of the network, for me, we lose some time to do that. And it's something which should be done at at uh, infrastructure level. And Istio, it's made for that. So removing all this part or removing uh, if it's a product just again use some feature flags to provide this if it's not running in a, a Istio or service mesh environment and then be sure all your applica uh, your application will do the communication as you want so using the standard uh, uh, specification from Istio for example you need to name your um, in your kubernetes manifest you need to name your port and uh, the container port with a specific uh, syntax just to be recognized uh, as is for, by Istio, to be sure to communicate from one uh, one sidecar to another uh, with Envoy. And yeah, just doing this preparation. And after that, if your application is able to run with Istio, first, the you are able to mm, do this observability thing. So you will have a lot of information about your application you didn't have before Istio. So it was, it, it's almost the only, uh, I won't say only, but it's one of the best things uh, provided by Istio for people without uh, the requirement of uh, traffic splitting, mirroring, and everything like that. If you just want to bring something in for observability, Istio is the best solution. Istio and service messages, of course, is the best solution because in Kubernetes, you don't have this observability at network level, except if you implement it in every the microservices. So if you want to have a drop-in solution just for that, it's the best thing. And during the migration from a world without Istio, just with Kubernetes, to Istio in production with everything set on, uh, it's the first thing, having this uh, observability, and then you can uh, follow your application, the behavior of your application in production. Sometime we found uh, some communication with uh, between two microservices not expected because oh, someone made that in the in the past, and now we are we are using that, and we were about to remove this connection for any reason. Now you can reason about this 
in production with almost real-time information and set and knew that for decision making in the uh, for the future so for me it's already a win uh, during this uh, this migration and after it's just uh, some process and it Istio provides you some primitive, the mirroring again and all the traffic uh, features, but it's up to you as a developer, as an uh, operation to get this uh, feature and decide what you want to do with that. Because at the end, you can do some mirroring traffic, but you can just move to the traffic splitting if you just need this part. And it's not something built in and with forcing you to follow a path, you just need to, okay, I have this primitive, I can uh, deploy my uh, my application with the, the V1 and V2 side by side and choose, okay, for this end specific endpoint, I will use the application uh, V1 and just V2 for some uh, customers. One example uh, uh, I had uh, is we had one customers which we weren't able to, connect the application and use what we call the magic uh, header. So we add some uh, header dedicated uh, to routing. So if you set version equals to uh, uh, the header in the HTTP call, you will reach the V2 version instead of the V1, which was our V2 or uh, V next in our, in our context. So it was something, but we had a lot of customer which weren't able to just change this uh, header in production because for them deploying a new version in production it was a six months uh, process so yeah it was too hard for them so we used the um, in the load balancer thing you uh, usually have the ep forwarded for uh, headers set by the, the load balancer and we use that because it's something usually which won't change. And we use that to route the traffic of this specific customer to the V next uh, instead of the V1. And then we were able to sell for this specific customer. It's something which should not be done in production, except in this case, because it's not something uh, reliable enough, uh, the, the IP. But in some context, it can help you to provide some extra feature to people not able to deploy the application with just the magic header or something like that. So yeah, it's some kind of example I have with these two. And again, it's just, and for me, the, the most of the, uh, the work was finding the way you want to deploy your application outside of the Kubernetes way, which is just changing one, one version in your manifest, but how you want to uh, deliver an, a new application in production. I'm putting the podcast on pause to introduce you to sponsor Linode. You could cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines, developing, deploying, and scaling your modern applications faster and easier. In fact, when I was looking to migrate my WordPress hosting, I ended up picking Linode because it had the best price at the performance level I was looking for, and I've never looked back. The performance is there for me when my latest Terraform-related post drops and I know if something goes wrong, Linode offers 24 by 7 by 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs, regardless of your plan size. You get to talk to like a real person the whole time. And while Linode is based in my hometown of Philly, they have data centers across the world, all with the same simple and consistent pricing model. And I do mean simple. 
you shouldn't need a team of financial engineers to understand your cloud bill, and with Linode, you won't. So whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. And you can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of Day2 Cloud. You can find all the details at linode.com slash day2cloud. That's D-A-Y, the number two, C-L-O-U-D. And it's not just Linux VMs. You can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you could use that $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. As they like to say, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash day2cloud, that's D-A-Y, the number two, C-L-O-U-D, and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. There's there definitely some significant planning that goes into how you're yeah. going to deploy those applications before you actually just, you know, crank up Istio and, and go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. You mentioned that just kind of like sparked in my brain is I've heard infrastructure described as the, the part that application developers don't need to worry about. And that line has been blurring and moving uh, as we've been looking at these new cloud native style applications where that HTTP uh, retry thing you were talking about, that typically yeah. would have been handled in the application, but now the option is to handle it in infrastructure. So I'm curious where you draw that line between what's infrastructure and what is the application. Yeah, I'm very opinionated on that. For me, if uh, we can move some infrastructure stuff from the application to the real infrastructure, so it's true in this context, it's better. So for me, the application should be only about business. So everything here is uh, business related. If it's about the reliability of the application or some uh, the security, for example, the MTLS thing uh, in, uh, in Istio and every service mesh currently, it's a nightmare to implement in every environment. Uh, I've done that in the past. It's, yeah, I, I don't want to do that anymore. It's, it's something which don't, it doesn't bring any value to my application. It's just secure. Uh, it's secure everything, but it's not something better for the application. And as a developer, I don't want to manage that. And if you have only uh, your application set or your set of microservices is using, for example, Java, uh, Java or Go, it's the same uh, language behind. Okay, you read the documentation once and try to do the MTLS stuff between all your application. But in some contexts, you may have multiple uh, framework languages or whatever. If I just want to run a curl command to one of my microservices and I want to achieve the MTLS thing between curl and the service, I will need to read the curl, uh, curl documentation just to understand how it's implemented. And for me, it's not something I want to achieve. I just want to launch something. And mm -hmm. again, taking this part and moving it to the sidecar or the infrastructure, whatever the infrastructure is, again, it can be Istio, but service meshes or outside of service meshes with serverless, it's, for me, it's the most important part. It's secure by design. Okay, there is an enforcement in the cluster to say everything in this namespace is able to communicate with MTLS. It's okay, whatever. I can do everything as I want, just a call code, a call, and at the end, it will be safe. 
by nature. So for me, this is the, I draw the line. It's again, a very opinionated. Uh, I draw the line, the more uh, I can bring to the, uh, the, the infrastructure, the, the better it is. It's uh, a solution when you deploy an application, you develop internally. If you uh, develop a product uh, like we are doing in, in Gradle, you have to uh, play with feature flags because you want maybe in some context to have this uh, feature provided because it's not deployed with uh, a service mesh uh, bringing this uh, network resiliency by default and then to enable or disable it on, on demand because you don't want a retry storm uh, in production because Istio is doing the retry and your application too. So yeah, it's something you want to avoid. Well, who who do you see typically managing the the Istio mesh? Is it an ops team, a dev team, or somewhere in the middle? Are there like split duties? For me, uh, I'm really on the part. I, I really want the developer to understand what they are doing and what they are deploying. So for me, uh, it's more a concern. The manifest itself saying, okay, the retry between this service and this service is done uh, three times by Istio. For me, it's a concern at developer level. So if you develop something, you know this connection has to be retried three times, maybe for something or uh, C3 breaking. Or, yeah, for me, it's something well known by the, the people in charge of the development. And in our context, the, uh, the developer are uh, the better to decide, okay, this version of the application will be deployed in five minutes and we need to increase the retry. So we don't have the time to okay, uh, open a call with the infrastructure team to say with to, to them, okay, this new version has to be deployed with a new retry mechanism. For me, it, the code, the manifest, and how the application is managed in production is the same uh, concern. So it has to be managed by the same team. And the infrastructure team for me is just the one in charge of making Istio working. So mm -hmm. upgrading Istio and managing the cluster more than implementing rules inside or maybe the default one, but mm. nothing more. So if you have a cluster rule for your traffic to implement maybe a retry three times in your cluster, yeah, it's on their part. But if there is something specific to the application from it's on the developer side. So day zero, day one, it's going to be uh, more the ops side of the house. Day two, once it's in, in real life, it's probably going to be more the dev side of the house because they're going to need to be that close to the configuration to make their application behave the way they need yeah. it to behave is what it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to day zero, day one. Uh, I've got a Kubernetes cluster. I'm on the ops side of the house, the infrastructure team. I manage this cluster and we're bringing Istio into the environment. So what kind of planning do I need to do to get that cluster, the networking and so on ready for Istio? Oh, it's a large subject. So if you want to, there is two sides of that uh, mainly. And for me, because I'm working a lot with uh, Google Cloud, uh, do you want something managed or something uh, you want to install yourself and uh, uh, tweak yourself? So for me, it's really a decision. I worked mainly on the the, the managed way. Uh, I've the, the people using the 0 0.3 was made uh, not managed and it was for <laughs> for them really uh, yeah a nightmare and, and every upgrades uh, was something i think it wasn't sometime. it wasn't a nightmare it was an opportunity for artisanal craftsmanship there you go <laughs> yeah it's a great way to, to say that 
<laughs> but oh. I remember the, the work late, so yeah, it was something. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, something for me, you need to be sure of what you want and if your infrastructure team is able to manage this load. For me, again, the serverless thing and saying, okay, this is managed and tested by someone else. It's like this someone else is already part of your team and is doing that all the time. So having uh, an extra team uh, with GKE, uh, GKE and Istio or Onto Service Mesh, whatever the name is on the uh, Google uh, side, uh, having this uh, cross multi-version setup just to be sure, okay, this new version of Istio will work with my cluster. And if I upgrade my cluster, this new thing will be deployed with a new Istio version and everything will be okay for me. Uh, usually it is. So yeah, for me, it's uh, again, something to, to, to decide before, uh, before going uh, with this show, because you can't do, and for me, again, your, you have an application, you have a business and your business is not to be uh, uh, the new uh, cloud service uh, uh, in the blog. So just, yeah, you need to decide. And after that, uh, if you want to achieve all by yourself, yeah, you need to think about uh, what you want to achieve. Uh, if it's not the managed solution and you want to deploy your application worldwide with multiple, multiple cluster, for example, with communication between clusters uh, through Europe, uh, US, Australia, for example, yeah, you need to... Uh, I think uh, the last time I've done this kind of setup was almost a month of work to set up everything from network to uh, clusters to ingresses uh, again all over the world to get the data and the localization everything so yeah it's something to to think about because doing this at the beginning is some it takes some times but at the at the end you have to upgrade and manage this part so well, for me, it sounds do, like it, if I've got a cluster, Kevin, I don't want to just bolt this to you on. It sounds like I want either an integrated offering that I can spin up um, or something I'm going to build off to the side if I'm going to do it artisanally and uh, and make sure that I've got it all going exactly the way I need it to go and then migrate workloads into it. I don't take a production cluster and bolt this to you on from what I'm hearing you say. Does that sound right? You can. Uh, you can because in Istio, you can deploy and um, say to Istio, okay, this namespace is not something you manage. So you can work with something else using another ingress and using another thing in the, in the same cluster. So if you want to achieve that, it's possible. And at the end, it's even something you will do in the future, not with uh, one version of Istio, but maybe with two versions in the same cluster because you want to upgrade Istio. So you'll have two versions uh, of Istio side by side and you will migrate one namespace at a time just to be sure, okay, this definition is okay and this namespace is working as expected with the new version. Okay. Yeah. For a second there, my brain broke. You, you're talking about two versions of Istio in the same cluster, but the answer is namespaces. That's how I'm... Uh, yeah, there yeah, is, yeah. Uh, you, you distinguishing between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, again, the, the data plane and the control plane. In the control plane namespace uh, in Istio, you will have two uh, versions side by side. It's the same thing uh, as for the application, but at the Istio level. And Istio will address the, uh, the, the manifest, uh, the uh, sidecar injection and the routing traffic uh, just for namespace, uh, which is in charge on. So it's, 
you can declare uh, Istio in charge of every namespace in your cluster, or just this new version is in charge of the uh, maybe the future version of your your application. So it's up to you to decide when you do this upgrade. But it's really uh, I think it's something from the version 1.9 or 1.8 to have this multiple version of Istio side by side. And for me, it's very important to have this kind of multi-tenancy, having multiple version of something in, in the cluster. So during the upgrade, you are sure everything will work and you can roll back because again, for application, it's one thing, but for infrastructure, it's the same. If I found something, a bug or something, I've discovered someone choose to use a specific protocol, which is not supported in the new version, I want to roll back and I don't want to be done during this rollback. So it's again, at Istio level, it's something possible. And you it's just some uh, annotation in uh, namespaces to say, okay, this one is managed by the new one and this one is managed by the old, the old one. Okay, and and but both versions of Istio that are running in the cluster would be interfacing with the same control plane, so that control plane is aware of both of them. I don't think they are communicating with each other. It's just two control planes side by side, okay. and the by the discovery of resources they have to manage is just done by this annotation uh, in the cluster. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I was. I was just like, where does the control plane live? Where is it? Okay, now it's starting yeah, yeah. to come together for me a little bit. So the upgrade process for Istio, if you wanted to do it gradually, would be to introduce the new version, slowly move your namespaces over, uh, and then once you've successfully moved all the namespaces over, just remove the old version of Istio and, and you're upgraded. Exactly. Like you, uh, you should do with your application and uh, with the traffic splitting and things like that. So it's just done at namespace level now. Got you, got you. Now, in terms of protecting Istio, uh, what do I need to do from a, a protection, backup, recovery type scenario to, to protect the Istio service mesh I have in place? Uh, on this one, maybe it's the, what I will say, it's maybe not the uh, best thing uh, I can tell because uh, I've used a lot of GitOps and we, for some customers, we've done some migration uh, and uh, it was something just to be sure everything can be restored from scratch every time. We choose to migrate uh, everything uh, in the Google Cloud Console, everything from one project to another, uh, again, from scratch every uh, two months, uh, just to be sure. And we didn't do any specific backup at Istio level. It was just, okay, we had some, uh, in some case it was Terraform or a config connector. So it's something to set up the infrastructure and the project uh, on Google uh, Cloud side. And we just address and move the resources from one to another. And at the end it was working because everything, every uh, part of the knowledge and the, the configuration was already in the our git repository as a GitOps thing. So yeah, for me, the GitOps way, it may be the best solution. Maybe there is something to back up, especially if you use some uh, um, predefined keys in uh, in the MTLS setup. Uh, but I, I think they can be stored also in your Git repository, not in clear. People just use something else like SOPS. It's a very powerful tool to encrypt things in uh, Git. Uh, but yeah, for me, I don't have anything to 
set up and back up uh, in the cluster uh, before or for for Istio. For me, it's just the GitOps part. Gotcha, gotcha. It's all stored in the manifests in the YAML, and you're just you're just reloading that on a new cluster. That's really cool. exactly. Um, and test test your backup. Test that. Just doing this migration was something <laughs> very <laughs> important to. <laughs> Yeah. Kevin, everyone tests their backups all the time. We all do. We're all perfect about that. I, to yeah. a certain degree, it sounded like you were essentially doing DR testing every two months. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's great to hear. <laughs> let's, uh, let's turn our gaze towards the future. And it seems like you're really good at picking out uh, these uh, projects when they're in their infancy. Because, you know, you picked up on Kubernetes when it was still like an alpha. Same thing with Istio. What are you seeing in the future? What, what new and interesting things are on the horizon? Oh, oh, that's a tricky question. <laughs> Something uh, for me, which is really important, it's already part of history. I talked about that, but it's something not really uh, important at the moment for uh, a lot, but we are seeing a lot of uh, blog posts on that. For me, it's the observability, which... Uh, can be better than what we have today. So uh, Istio bring this, uh, brought this part, uh, having this observability set up for you and you just need to forward headers, for example, to get the observability at the uh, global uh, level of your application. So for me, more investment from people at observability to decide uh, is something... Uh, I won't say I'm fighting for, but I think it's it's a, a subject. I don't want, uh, and uh, something I shared a lot, I don't want to uh, take a decision because I think it's the the the, the one we should, uh, the one thing we should do. I want to use data for that. And for me, the observability is the way to get data from the application itself to say, okay, we have a problem on this part of the application and we want to invest to make it better for any reason, make it faster or maybe. And in sometimes I found some part of the application was the most uh, cost involved uh, about this part. But in fact, at traffic level, we've seen no one were using this part of the application. And having this kind of data is really important for me. And after that, uh, the the um, the service mesh for me uh, is uh, will spread across and outside of the of the cluster. I think uh, we already have some part in in Envoy. They they um, uh, has been merged something about the uh, integration of this observability part, but for other protocols like uh, the communication protocol for um, PostgreSQL just to get this information even from a PostgreSQL server. And for me, having this kind of thing at higher level, so uh, to a database or with a VM or with another service outside of your cluster, uh, if you want to deploy something again on App Engine or uh, just a VM, for me, it has to be done and you need to not lose something in the middle just because, okay, we choose this uh, way to deploy things because... It's a managed service and it's not compatible with our system. So at the end, we have just a line where after that, we don't have any data uh, about our system. And for me, it's not something I want because uh, when you're used to getting so much information about your system, uh, being blind after this line because it's a managed service and it's simpler to use, yeah, it feels about uh, a bit strange. And usually when you are about to take decision, having this complete complete uh, thing 
with no information, you it's a, you are a bit biased by that because yeah, it's maybe on this part. But yeah, it's maybe on this part because you don't have any idea of what's happening behind this part. So it's maybe that. But uh, it's something for me. This spread of information and uh, about your uh, workload in production is really uh, for me the next thing I would say, uh, and at least for me, it's the important thing getting to know better our application and our application is working in production. So Kevin, since we're looking to the future here, we want to get into your opinion on something else. And we've had a couple of shows where we've talked about um, uh, eBPF and the potential yeah. impact that that will have on sidecar and sidecar proxies. Uh, wh what do you think about that? Is eBPF going to replace sidecars? Where do you, where do you come down on this? Uh, there is, Multiple answer for that. For me, yes, we need something to make the sidecar, or not the sidecar, but make it lightweight because the sidecar consumed a lot, can consume a lot of resources and it's hard to adjust because it's not something you developed uh, in voice. So you need to trick the application to only publish the modification to Envoy uh, to make it less uh, a memory, uh, to reduce the memory consumption. So for me, we need some uh, something at this level because yeah, having L7 things done by Envoy, uh, which can be reduced at level four or level three, uh, depending on the implementation with the BPF. Yeah, it's something interesting and it can be a solution for uh, people just we just want to deploy an application without this uh, uh, this sidecar uh, next to the application. So for me, it's an interesting subject. And yes, I, I really think it will shape the future of the service mesh, but we'll still need some parts uh, inside our cluster to for, for, for Istio or any other service mesh because we can bring some clever thing into the Istio, uh, the, the sidecar, sorry. Uh, I've done some, it was more proof of concept than a release solution, but the, the ability to sideload some component in the sidecar for me is really important. And it, it will be hard to do that at kernel level with the BPF. And for yeah, authorization yeah. and authentication, it's something really powerful because you can use GWT or any other authentication system and make this Again, outside of your application, authentication is not something for your business, except if you develop Keyclock, for example. And if you want to bring that in something else, just deployed uh, as a sidecar and done at application, and application is on the sidecar, it's again interesting for me to have this uh, this way to deploy a Wasm uh, uh, module in, into the sidecar, and it won't be able to do that. Oh. At least it will be harder to do that at kernel level. So I think both world uh, can be uh, uh, a solution. And lately, uh, Istio and Solo.io announced the ambient mode, which is something new on the Istio side. Uh, it's almost like the eBPF Cilion solution with one um, uh, Envoy is deployed as a daemon set in the node. And if you want to deploy something uh, without the sidecar, the communication will be done to this uh, daemon set and then forward, uh, forwarded to another uh, daemon set in another node, so to protect your application. So it's something possible now with the, this ambient mode, and I think it will reduce the consumption. Uh, and it's mainly the, the, the point about that, to reduce the load uh, and your cluster to reduce the bill at the end. 
It sounds like you're coming down on the same side that uh, others we've had give their opinions are coming down on, which is eBPF is awesome for lots of things, but it can't do everything. It's just yeah. too difficult to implement a bunch of things in uh, in the kernel that we might like to. It's just not practical. So offload, take out of the sidecar what we can, pop it into the kernel via eBPF, take that load and uh, move it there, and then make a lighter weight sidecar, as you're saying, if we need to keep it around, that has certain rich functionality that we, we might want to have, which does nothing to solve complexity, you know, as, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, but but there it is. We do solve, you know, some some memory utilization problems and so on. So uh, you, you really are echoing what other folks have said. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think that is a good place to stop. Uh, Kevin, if folks want to hear more from you, they want to know more about you and what you're up to, where are some good places to find you on the internet? Uh, in the internet, uh, I think Twitter is my my base, best place. So uh, Davin Kevin, D-A-V-I-N Kevin uh, on Twitter. And the same thing on uh, Dev2, where I used to blog uh, when I have time. So yeah. Both, uh, both places to find me if you, if you want. And if you want to discuss about Istio or the service mesh, Google Cloud or whatever, even Kotlin, it's, uh, uh, I'm re re really happy to discuss about that. Yeah. Excellent. We'll include links for all of that in the show notes. Uh, Kevin Davin, thank you so much for joining us today on Day 2 Cloud. Thank you for the invitation. That was Kevin Davin, Senior Backend Engineer at Gradle. And I want to say, hey, thanks to you listeners for tuning in virtual high fives. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow, or you can fill out the form on the Day2Cloud website. Yes, we've added a form to Day2Cloud instead of using my website, because that was a little that was a little funky. <laughs> I mean, go to my website if you want, but uh, Day2Cloud.io now has a form for you to suggest next shows and topics. I also want to let all the listeners know about a program that Pluralsight is running for the rest of this year. They call it Cloud Happy, and it gives you free access to Pluralsight and A Cloud Guru courses to help you prepare for one of five popular certifications, including the Certified Kubernetes Administrator and Terraform Associate. So just search Pluralsight and Cloud Happy in your search engine of choice and you will find it. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 